Good morning, everyone. So this is the fifth week of the month, and we are continuing our arc on stewardship in the greater realm of sacrifice, of course. This is the year of sacrifice, and that is in the larger pursuit to develop different aspects of our vigilance, right? <clears throat> this year, we've covered a whole bunch of stuff in regard to blessings and all kinds of different things that we can sacrifice, and all of that culminates in this concept of stewardship, a, posi a position of perpetual sacrifice is how I want to paint it today, is how I want us to contemplate it, that it is a stark reality that nothing is actually yours, that you're just the caretaker of all of those things. Um, we can pretend that stuff is ours, but at the end of the day, that's us just being in denial. We can build our castle like as is in the American dream. Um, we can invest our personal pride in it, but realistically, it's only to see it burn down. You know, whether that's today, whether that's tomorrow, a decade, or knowing that the next generation won't last. Um, only things built and invested in God are things that last, right? Things that actually carry with us into eternity. <clears throat> Instead, um, if we don't do that, we're just chasing vanity and self-affirmation. That's just how it works. But we can choose to accept our responsibility as stewards for God, as keepers and managers of God's things, and understanding that those are not our own. And I just want to hammer onto this big picture point today, even though we've talked about different aspects of that through crib theory, through you know talking about our family and friends and the church body community, um, investing in all of those things and being good stewards of all those things. But there's a big picture to it, and really the trick is that we have to treat all our responsibilities rightfully and righteously, and that requires some serious obstacles that we have to overcome, that we have to submit to God in those ways so that our nature, our sinful nature, can be conquered in Christ. Human nature wants to take care of what's ours and treat other stuff with less care, for example. That's one of our just basic natures. People can be trained, there's always a, but there's always a revealing threshold for a person. You know, when the stress and insecurity is just too great, when we have to make a choice, me or them, my stuff or their stuff, which thing am I going to let slip? But, like usual, God calls us to hold the unintuitive position for us, the paradoxical position we think it is sometimes, to consider everything as not ours, but yet own it anyway, to take ownership of it, to treat it with the utmost respect, in fact, more than our own stuff. This is difficult for the human mind to comprehend and to hold and accept, but we need to be broken of our ways. And that's a real thing that we need to understand and not take for granted, is that there is something that's ingrained in us that has to be broken that has to be freed. We have to die to that and live to God's standard instead and act like we've actually made this change to become the stewards that God trusts and the stewards that God takes joy in. You know, just basic biblical example like how Joseph 
in the Old Testament, <clears throat> like he was a great steward for Potiphar, and for then the prison warden, and even Pharaoh. Like all of these people were allowed to be relieved of the stresses because Joseph was such a good steward for all of them. Um, and of course, the son of man was the best steward of all. You know, he had no place even to lay his head and to call his own, is what the scripture says, because he was a steward under his father. He was charged to care for the sheep that he was given, like Jesus talks about in John 10. He brought great joy to his father, even before he even fully took on his ministry. You know, at his baptism in Matthew 3, we hear the father saying that, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Just stewarding his life up to that point before he even did anything crazy, he took it seriously. He trained, he managed, he taught his family well. Like he, he was all those things that God took joy in. And then he even went over and beyond that and gave the ultimate sacrifice at the end and for the previous three years intensely in a way that just continues to make ripples in the world. We are disciples of Jesus Christ, and he didn't cling to being equal with God or didn't cling to being great, but he took a humble position of a bondservant, like Philippians 2.5 says. And this brought God great joy. We need to submit to our position before God, following Christ as a bondservant in his stead, taking care of his sheep, taking care of his father's estate. And if you are to be a good steward, you need to be broken first. It's just where we're at. It's just accepting our nature in that way. <clears throat> Allowing yourself to be broken of pride and entitlement and insecurity so you can serve your master well. As we move forward with what we've learned about stewardship, let's consider some personal obstacles that we're going to encounter and break them down a little bit so we can embrace that permanent stewardship role in this life and for eternity that God has honored us with, treating his things with the respect that they deserve, with the love that he's treated them with, counting the cost of our position, you know, accepting the loss and pain that's going to come with that, allowing God's love to prove itself in our lives in that process, and for love to drive our care and management of God's household, not for the world to determine how we will manage things, how we will consider them as ours. So pride's always going to be an issue. We want to be awesome. That's just what it is. It feels great to be awesome. To be like God in this way. Proverbs 11.2, though, says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Breaking through pride opens us to wisdom, as this biblical wisdom says. That's why... That's what we need to be good stewards, to be wise and useful. We need that wisdom. Uh, Pastor James this morning, it was kind of interesting. Um, he was talking about the, he was talking about freedom versus wisdom when he was talking about his Bible study, and we were talking, we were debating on whether or not he should, you know, um, cancel the last thing, the last uh, Bible study for the year because it was Christmas season and they're specifically in a transitionary period between books and stuff. And I said, well, you certainly have the freedom to do so. And he said, it's not about freedom, it's about wisdom. 
right? And this is the thing that we come into. Pride makes us want to take hold of our freedom and to be awesome and do all the things that make us look cool. Um, but wisdom is conservative. Wisdom is sacrificial. Wisdom is vigilant, those things that we are trying to develop. Romans 1 says that in our foolishness, we turned our backs on God and worshiped creation and animals, and we seek to become like our object of worship. Take a wild stallion, for example, the show Yellowstone inspired for sure. Um, it's admirable in a certain way. You know, it's powerful and majestic. Even shows like the nature of God's creation and the beauty that he made. <clears throat> but in its raw form, in its wild form like that, it's not useful, destructive even, for a master. We should be domesticated and trained like a stallion so that we can be strong and useful and directed and powerful and beneficial to God's ranch, if you will. But there are fears that keep us wild. You know, animal nature survives on fear. We are called to move beyond fear to faith. The whole natural world survives on fear, thrives on it even, you could consider. But we are not supposed to be like that. Yet, that's how we operate. You know? It's a, it's a natural response to things. And a lot of times it's good for survival and it gets us through some tough times. But it's not how we thrive and it's not how we become good stewards of God. It's not how we embrace being sacrificial for him. Yeah, we're called beyond fear, which we'll hit more on later. But we're supposed to be strong and powerful, and wild makes us feel prideful instead. We embrace our animal nature in pride, and the world admires it. But before God, it brings us disgrace, as the proverb says. We must reject this short-sighted ego boost, and this is a real emotional loss for us to deal with if we're being honest with ourselves, because it's always trying to get in there. It's always trying to get in there. Even if that's just an offhand comment in a conversation or whatever, it's always trying to slip in, lifting yourself up at the expense of someone else. <clears throat> and um, not allowing this to happen can be a real emotional toll on us. It requires sacrifice. It requires vigilance and discipline. But mature stewards have learned this. As the psalmist says in Psalm 84, verse 10, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Are you prepared to submit to your master's training? Are you prepared to root out these things, to be broken of your wild stallion inside that wants to hide and be in the thicket of the trees, escaping being tamed. We've all got that area. We've all got that. Are you willing to root that out and be broken? To give up your idea of being a wild stallion and hitch yourself to a plow and get some work done. 
<clears throat> are you willing to go from the glory of battles and after parties, being you against the world, to being a doorman in God's house? Stewards will still fight their battles, but the Spirit is humble and helpful. Are you ready to submit to the Spirit of a steward, is the question, as we move forward, as we're closing this year on sacrifice? I just want to throw out there that this is not going to be a short sermon, so I'm getting your practice in. Let's move to Luke 14, 28. He says, But don't begin being a disciple of Christ, is what it's talking about. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Jesus says we need to count that cost. We need to gird ourselves. We need to prepare with a realistic understanding. This was and is still the year of sacrifice that we're focusing on. We have to count the cost of stewardship. And we can talk about how we can be a steward in this way and that and who is responsible for those things. We can leave that to the intellectual part of our mind. But the cost is counted in the heart. It's not just submitting pride for humility. It's tangible, as we talked about. And to do that, you have to break your spirit down in those ways that it wants to hold on to its wild, animalistic side. As God's steward, you'll inevitably be pressed. You own nothing, yet you manage everything. You know, relatively little goes to yourself because everything needs attention. Being a sacrificial servant like Christ demands that we respond to the needs of God's house. And there are many, and they are relentless, and they aren't going to stop. You know, they're great, and they are taxing. That's why we have to rely on God's strength in that. Tax collectors, were in a position of stewardship in a way. You know, a very particular position. They were vulnerable to corruption. They didn't have this process going on in their heart. They allowed themselves to take God's resources and not give back what they should. They allowed themselves to take more than they needed and to give back less than they should. Because that, they were hated. They were vulnerable to corruption. They were in a position of unaccountable stewardship and sin tempted them with great success. And so they kept a lot for themselves. Stewardship is managing what isn't yours and you only get to keep a small salary to meet your needs and the rest is not yours at all. So what will you sacrifice, quote-unquote, to serve the covenant and relational and biological communities in pursuit of serving the infinite community well? You know, sacrifice is kind of a misnomer, actually. You can't really sacrifice what's not yours. Just to put a more harsher turn on things, because I think that's what we need, sacrifice is a misnomer. We always want to put the word in a self-centric, human-centric perspective, right? If it's not yours and you don't give it back, it's stealing. Saying that all these things are, are sacrifices 
it's language that we understand, but it's not really all that technically accurate. You know? If it's not yours and you don't give it back, it's stealing and you're a thief. We don't like to feel guilty. We like pretending um, that it's ours. We like pretending like we're minding our own business and that is a neutral thing. But pretending, but minding our own business is not a neutral thing. The truth is, is that minding our own business is neglect. You know, it's not minding the business that we have. It's not minding the business that we've been given. It's doing a bad job. You know, you can look up crimes of omission and neglect and complicity. Like, just because you don't do something doesn't mean that you didn't do something wrong. We are called to act. And if we're going to be good stewards, we need to take that seriously. And break through these barriers in our heart that keeps us from being all in as taking care of God's stuff, as taking God care of God's people. Um, if we take, if we agree to those things, if we do count that cost, we look at all those things dead in the eye and say, yes, sign me up. If we desire to work for God and be productive, we have to count the cost of it realistically. Just like secular jobs, you know, with that, there's drive time, there's gas, there's how long you have to work, there's how hard the job's going to be physically and mentally and emotionally. If you, can, if you think you can be successful at that job, if you have to pay for parking, if your employees are going to be difficult and unsubmissive, if your managers are going to be harsh on you and they're going to ride you hard. Being a steward for God includes all of this metaphorically and a lot of times literally. Um, don't be surprised by difficulty, you know? Expect it. Relish it. All of those things are going to be counted for you in the reward that matters in the next life when we are with God. Yeah. Deal with the loss ahead of time. That's what I want us to think about right now is that consider these things gone. Consider these things dead so that you can operate with the freedom that you need to be a good steward. <clears throat> the last example I want to offer is that retirement buffer, too. You know, it, won't, it also won't be up to the world's standard when you sign up for this job. And this job runs until you're unable to do it. It's not like you get to retire at 55 or 65 or whatever. It's a permanent job. And we should rely on God's estate to provide for us instead of trying to be like the squirrel and store up as many nuts as we can in our little you know, hole at the base of the tree or whatever and hope that nobody else steals them so we can make it through the winter. But God has a better way for us. We should rely on God's estate to provide for us and trust, trust the next generation of servants Train them to be good stewards, too, better than us, even. This isn't to say that it's not responsible to save up some nuts or whatever, but these are heart issues. The issue is, why are you doing that? You know? And how much of your resources are you allocating to that? And are you thinking about other people in those situations and all of this stuff? 
or are you just doing what the world does and stuffing your nuts into a hole and uh, hoping for the best because you're not willing to really put your all into God's work and not willing to invest in his body and his estate, knowing that when you're too old to walk, you're going to still be living there because God takes care of his people. The hard work, the little pay, it's difficult. Does your heart resist the accepting of these difficulties? Do you have faith in God's providence? Pray and ask for what you need in this coming year to do right as we move forward out of this phase of sacrifice and stewardship. Because those things don't go away. At this point, as far as God's concerned, we're educated and we understand, and now he's going to accept us. He's going to expect us to live by those standards. And so let's be on the same page with each other and help us do that and help us to be all in and break our spirits of that wild, rebellious heart that wants to do its own thing, that wants to provide for itself and be out in the wild with glory and finding our own way. It's not how God wants it. He wants us to serve in his house. This stuff all requires that we go against our sinful nature, you know? But the cool thing is, is that God does want us to count the cost and pay for it. But he also recognizes that it's all his anyway, and he gives us what we need to pay for it. You know, I call up as a witness Abraham and his sacrifice of Isaac. God asked for that sacrifice, but he also gave him the sacrifice that was good for Abraham and that was acceptable. He found that ram, right, caught in the bushes there that he needed. And we don't have to worry about being pushed beyond what we can handle. God promises us that he will never do that, that he'll never give us a task that's too big. But even so, this faith, it requires us to go against our sinful nature, to depend on God and his wisdom to carry us through. So, as humans, we've found ways that we can seemingly conquer our own nature. You know, even on our own, we like to do those things. Um, to try to, I don't know, imitate God's design on things so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we can get a taste of progress because it's a dark shadow of the image of what God wants us to do. Let's think about boot camp for an example. The human conditioned mind thinks of the self first, right? But if you're going to join something like that, like the military, it needs to be broken. It needs to be broken of comfort and personal agenda and profit and pride, all those things. It needs to be broken to operate as a collective unit, thinking of not self first, but the whole to consider your life as not your own, to break boundary constraints of pain and insecurity, to realize and achieve new strengths, to be vigilant, to be able to focus on what needs to be done and to do your part, to do your job. Um, 
but regardless of difficulty or suffering, that's what it demands. And to do that, we lock a bunch of people into a constraint physically, you know, that they can't easily get out of. And if they do get out of it, there's a bunch of penalties socially and physically, you know, if you bail on the military. That's what has to be done for us to break our own spirit. And the military's figured this out because, well, they paid a lot of people to do it, and they've had lots of practice because people are a warlike people. We just are. And this is the best way that we've figured out how to do it. I'm asking you guys to consider what it would take to do the same thing moving forward in the vein of your development of your vigilance, your godly vigilance, to break those things of comfort and personal agenda and profit and pride, to consider your life as not your own and break boundary constraints, <clears throat> um, and perform well, you know, at peace during times of high stress and chaos of war. These are the things that we need to build also as stewards of God. A quote from Band of Brothers, which is a favorite of mine. I always accidentally run into these things. I was like, man, what is that quote? And then I look it up, and I'm like, oh, it's Band of Brothers again. But, yeah, Ron Spears he says, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner you accept that, the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier is supposed to function. Without mercy, without compassion, without remorse. All war depends on it. Though that's epic, it's a secular bastardization of God's path. Instead, biblically, we accept our deaths and live in the resulting freedom with incredible mercy, with deep compassion, and a repentant serving spirit. Kind of the polar opposite of what the military pushes because it's just seeing God's design through a mirror darkly. In other words, we accept death so we can fully love. To function as a soldier of God is supposed to function. To function as a real steward of God is supposed to function. Another worldly example is immersion therapy in psychology where a person is exposed to the triggers of their anxieties so that they can understand and accept that their phobia is irrational and has no power over them. Immersion therapy. To overcome those fears which cripple them, like Batman. You know, I think as Batman begins where he like ends up in the bat cave and the bats are all around him and he's like terrified and then he slowly like stands up in it and embraces it, right? This works albeit mechanically, to reduce fear. But God's solution is to be driven by love to expose ourselves, not just by beating ourselves with our fears, but driven by love into a situation that's going to reduce our fears. Because God's love is perfect and expels all fear. And like Batman, this understanding is not intellectual in nature. It's not the gnosis but it comes through the experience of putting your faith to the test. Seeing that even in these conditions, even when you fully extend yourself, God will provide 
and the experience, the relationship, the building and productivity is incredibly rewarding, not to mention what's waiting for you in eternity. First uh, John 4, 17 says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. As we live in God, our love grows more perfect. And as we live like God, immersed in his ways, living in God, as it puts it, our love grows through that process, is what that scripture says. And our confidence also grows when we go all in and see God work through our lives, through our service. Verse 18 continues, says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment, and this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. As we go all in because of love, our love grows. This is the thought process. And that love, God's love, is able to expel more fear from us as we submit to that process. The closer we get to God's love, the less fear we have. Fear in Greek is phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S, the direct root word for our word phobia. No surprise. Meaning panic flight or terror. And also meaning withdrawal, fleeing because of feeling inadequate, interestingly enough. These two things, love and fear, they oppose each other. God's actions and promises show his love. They prove his love because he went all in. And when we have faith in this and act like that faith is real, we experience his perfect love, his strength, and his providence, and his authority. This is what we want to expose ourselves as stewards in training, breaking ourselves of the sinful spirit that we have to fight daily, submitting to God and letting him remake our heart. This love, it drives out our feelings of inadequacy, as that definition of phobos states. Being able to see God work in our lives as we extend ourselves in faith, it drives out fear, and it drives out inadequacy, because we understand that we are not alone in these things, that God's stewards don't operate alone. Even if we are alone, meaning we're the only steward in town, we're still not alone. We have God with us and in us. And we operate with his authority, even though nothing is technically ours. And we're not so worried about pride and getting what's ours any longer, because love is stronger than those things. God's real love. Phobos no longer has any place in us, but real love does instead. It takes that place. It drives out fear. The light drives out the darkness. <laughs> Real love is agape love. Real love is sacrificial. Real love is scary, and it causes all kinds of anxiety when you think about what it's going to take to demonstrate it until you follow through with it, as John points out. Then it's intensely rewarding. God calls us to immerse ourselves in that love, to live it through and through. And this is how we're going to be successful stewards. 
good soldiers in his army, even captains in the ranks, good managers of his house and resources, even if we are managing a door and guarding it. It's an honorable position. There's no shame in it. That's what the Christian worldview is. Being good shepherds of his sheep, you know, regardless of which community you're talking about, the relational or biological, covenantal. John makes it clear that God's attitude is our starting point. That his example is always our starting point. And as stewards, we care for his things because he did first. That's how we always know what God's priority is. What did he do? How did he view it? 1 John 4, 19, one verse later, continues, We love each other because he loved us first. We see God loving us, and so we take care of each other because God took care of them first. This is the bottom line, and it's accomplished by boldly stepping into a, quite frankly, intimidating position. People are complicated and scary and difficult. Stuff is complicated and scary and difficult in and of itself, and it's not animate. It doesn't have a wild spirit that also doesn't want to be tamed, you know? But this is what we need to do. We need to accomplish it by boldly stepping into an intimidating position and to grow our understanding of God's love and to kick that fear out. It has no place in a steward of God, in a vigilant watchman, in a sacrificial servant. To serve God, we have to give up our death grip on our rights. So we should target something in our life that's intimidating. You know, since all this stuff that we've been talking about and learning this year, it's time to gird up, time to strap in, move forward. Target something in our life that's intimidating, something God wants us to care for selflessly, with ownership, but not for us. Without pride or entitlement or insecurity, and filled with God's perfect love, expelling all the concerns and fear that we have about that. During the Christmas season, you know, we're giving gifts and we're hospitable and we should be more aware of others and their needs. Um, The current is already flowing more in the way of Christ. It's kind of easy pickings right now. So take an opportunity. You know, historically even highly valued gifts were given to Jesus and social norms and expectations were broken seeing the poor Nazarene as the king of all kings instead of what he appeared to be. So use this opportunity to give beyond the norm, to serve beyond your comfort. Remember, the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head because he was a steward for his father. We should be the same for him. But he's going to return as king and master. So what report are we going to give of his affairs when he comes back? How will our work hold up? We can get on, we can get by, by faith, barely making it into heaven. But we at ABF, we want to be good and faithful stewards and embrace that position and get rid of that fear so that we can live by God's 
pure love in these things, in our sacrifice, in our steadfast, vigilant post. 1 Corinthians 3.10 says this, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold and silver and jewels, wood, hay, or straw, but on Judgment Day, fire is going to reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. That's kind of the decision we're facing. As far as I can tell, we're all real believers. We all have a saving faith. But what are we building? You know, how are we stewarding God's property and his sheep and his flocks? Are we growing those things? Are we building on those things on a solid foundation that's already been started? Or are we trying to find our own way? Did we find a nice tree to stuff nuts in and build a little tree house in, and we think that's going to last. We've got to push ourselves with action, though. We've got to find those areas, like how boot camp finds areas, like how psychology finds those areas, but not in the way that the world finds those areas. Building and approaching those things by the foundation that God has laid for us, not by the foundation that the world has laid. By propelling ourselves and extending ourselves through faith, acting by God's love, to do things that we are frankly terrified to do, that we have a phobia of, but instead giving God the opportunity to show us that he is going to set, up for, set us up for success as his stewards, that he's going to allow us to continue building his church and his estate and his house and take care of his sheep. That's what he wants us to do, and he's promised to equip us to do that. So let's push, push ourselves with the action, propelled by love, being fruitful, being secure and humble in those things, and to continue God's lasting work on that foundation that he's built already. So, our questions. What can you do moving forward? Big picture of sacrifice and vigilance. That's going to allow you to act as the useful steed, I mean steward, that God wants you to be. Get real here, you know? What are you afraid of? What do you need to be broken? What do you need to break in yourself? What are the wild patches that need domesticating in you so that you can be useful by God's standard? And what 
stewardship is going to test your faith. You know, putting that term into the mix. What act of stewardship will test your faith? Where does God's love need to be proven for you? You know, just as some examples, you know, maybe taking on a financial commitment that's above your pay grade or stepping into an academic or training program that's intimidating to you, um, taking on a mentorship relationship in either direction, you know, taking on a mentoree or a mentor, both of those can be terrifying to people. Yeah. Take a step which requires humility and submission to your master. And then, I guess lastly, what can you do to purposefully strengthen your weak points in vigilance? You know, not a breakdown of that, but in the phrased in the opposite direction in the strengthening department. What can you do to purposefully strengthen your weak points in vigilance due to a lack of sacrificial discipline? What can you do to purposefully strengthen your weak points in vigilance that are due to a sacrificial discipline, a lack of sacrificial discipline? That's it. Let's discuss. <laughs>